Hi, and welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians that are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Dawn Sadler, the Christian Productivity Coach. Now, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, welcome back. You know it's been a while since we've published a new episode, and you might be wondering, what happened? Well, Some of you do know that earlier this year, I stepped in as a co-vocational pastor at Liberty Church in downtown Manhattan, along with my work as a productivity coach. Now, about a month after I stepped into the role, COVID hit, and my plans, as I'm sure all of yours, changed dramatically. I've spent most of the last year navigating through the realities of serving our community and our city in what is still a very challenging time in New York. So today, in our first episode back since before COVID began, I wanted to give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. I'm sitting down with J.R. Carmichael. J.R. and I both serve as community pastors for the same church in New York. J.R. leads a community in Brooklyn. And today we're going to have a frank and open conversation about what pastoring in New York City this year has been like. Personally, I am constantly inspired by JR, and I'm excited to share his wisdom with you. Now, before we meet JR, I also want to welcome new listeners to the podcast. Over the last year, many of you have reached out to me and told me that you found the podcast this year and have been catching up on past episodes. I just want to say thank you. I appreciate your encouragement this year, and I'm happy that you're here. We've got lots of great upcoming episodes to share with you. Now, we'll meet JR in just a moment, but first, I want to let you know that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find JR online at dawnsadler.com slash 044. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review. This helps us reach more people with powerful testimonies of how God is moving in the marketplace. But for now, Let's meet J.R. Carmichael. Hi, J.R. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about this conversation, our very first one back in a long, long time. And it was so intentional that um, you were the person to have on as a guest, which we'll jump into in just a moment. But before we get to that, uh, please take a moment and share with our listeners who do not yet know you a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is uh, JR, and I am um, originally uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I spent most of my life. And uh, But my wife, Tess, and I, who I have the amazing privilege of pastoring uh, Liberty Church's downtown Brooklyn community um, with. Um, we've been in New York now for almost six years, and um, and it's been a lot of fun to be in the city, and, um, and we love what we get to do at Liberty, and um, and never, if you would have asked me this five years ago, if I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would have laughed at you and said that you're crazy, and um, <laughs> I have the privilege now of being able to uh, serve uh, the local church from a staff position. Um, I'm in my 12th year now. And um, Mm. so I've just been super blessed with incredible opportunities to be a part of some incredible churches um, and and so blessed to be a part of another incredible church, um, Liberty. So, 
That's awesome. So just to give a little bit of context, um, we are both community pastors here in New York City for Liberty Church. Um, we are not the only pastors. We actually have six locations around the world. We've got amazing pastors at each one. We've got the best at Upper West Side. Uh, we've got the Jennings down in St. Pete. We've got... Um, uh, Johnny and Tosh in London and Lou and Zinti in Manzini, Iswatini. Um, and of course, we all serve under the leadership of Paul and Andy Andrew. And all of them, uh, any one of them would have been amazing to have on the podcast. But the reason that I wanted um, to sit down and have this conversation with you is that of all of the pastors, I think that you and I probably were the closest um counterparts this year, meaning that we serve a similar demographic. I'm in downtown Manhattan. You're in Brooklyn. Um, we had a similar size community uh, when COVID hit, and we had a similar schedule in terms of regathering and some of the challenges and opportunities and amazing things that God is doing through all of that. And so, I really just wanted to sit down and have a conversation about what it has been like to pastor in New York City uh, in 2020 with everything that's going on, and there's been <laughs> so much. Um, but I want to start with this question, which is, if we were to time travel back to January 1st, 2020, what did you think back then that your year was going to look like? Oh, man. Um if you were yeah, so, if I were to go back to the beginning of January 2020, I think um, we were uh, just believing to see um, the growth that we had seen in 2019. And so, over the course of 2019, we actually saw our community grow by more than 30 percent across that whole year, um, which was uh, just a huge blessing. And it was it was all the grace of God. And um, and so. Um, we were just believing to continue to build on that momentum. We had plans to actually uh, give birth to an extension community in Williamsburg. Um, and so all of that stuff was kind of at the top of our mind and things that we were believing for at the beginning of January. And obviously us as a church, you know, are getting behind the word that Paul uh, got for our church, which is a year of harvest. And so everything was kind of leaning into that. And so um, that's kind of what we envisioned for our year, giving birth to a new extension community in Williamsburg. Um, and so seeing, seeing new, something new kind of happen in Brooklyn and, um, and just continuing to see people find home the way that we had seen it in 2019 in ways that we never even could have dreamed of um, happening. We thought that we were maybe two or three years away from seeing that kind of growth and God had other plans. And, um, and so we were just hoping to continue to build on that and continue to be good stewards of that and, um, and kind of just lean into that momentum that we had coming out of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So um, fast forward a few months and you and I have joked about this because I remember the last day that we were in the office <laughs> together in March and we were like, okay, well, see you in a couple of weeks. And uh, obviously it turned out to be uh, much more serious when COVID hit and took much longer. Tell me how that changed pastoring for you. How did that change? Like personally, what did you walk through and, and how did it change how you served as a pastor? Yeah, I think um, 
I think the funny part for me is when all of this hit, and like you said, we all sat around a table and said, okay, we'll see, see each other in two weeks. And things will be back to normal and we'll be fine. And obviously it's now been nine months. And um, and so I, I think initially um, as a leader and as a pastor, I think it's easy for us to kind of lean into a place of having to feel like we have to have all the answers. And yeah. this was a moment where um, I, I didn't have an answer as a leader. Um, I, yeah. I did not have um, any clarity or uh, direction. And so I think initially, um, I felt, uh, confused. Um, I felt like I, I personally didn't know where to go or what to do next because I was kind of in the same position as the people that I'm, you know, that I get to lead and pastor is I, I didn't know anything about the virus or how serious it was. And, 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 um, how long we would find ourselves in it. And so I, I think initially, the first couple months, um, I think I was in a place of just kind of trying to figure out what this meant for me personally, knowing that if I could figure that out between me and God, if I could figure out, okay, God, what does this season mean for me? Um, then that would naturally kind of inform how I lead and how I pastor during the rest of this season, however long we might be in it. But that period of uncertainty for two months, not really knowing what was happening in our world, um, I, I think kind of left me in a place of also being uncertain like everybody else was. And I think for me, I had to first personally figure out what is this feeling of uncertainty? What does it mean to me? And how am I going to navigate it personally with Jesus? And what is God saying to me about it? And, and let me allow that to inform my leadership. Yeah, that's good. I feel like for me, it was um, the first couple months where uh, I felt like, okay, well, uh, we're going to put in a plan. We're going to execute a plan. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to manage the plan. We're going to see this through. We're going to steer the ship through these, you know, choppy waters. And for me, it was, it was probably two months into it where I kind of hit a wall, that realization that this was going to go on so much longer um, and be so much more complex in terms of how we serve um, and, you know, what does it look, when will we reopen? And all of those questions, I actually felt like that was the harder part for me. Did you have that moment where you felt like, oh, this is this is really something much different than than I thought. And did how did you adjust to that? Yeah, no, that's that's really good because I think the um, unfortunately the the issue for me was n- I realized like man, I only know how to lead and pastor if if I have a place to meet on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and and not that I'm not pastoring or shepherding people during the week, but so much right. of I realized so much of the weight of what I do leaned on was dependent on Sunday and a physical gathering. And so um, I think when you started to ask yourself the questions of like, man, when are we going to regather? If are we ever going to regather the, in the rest of this year? Um, I think for me, it was just trying to, it, it was almost God saying, Hey, you have to pivot. You have no choice right. to figure this out. And, um, and so I, I think for me, what I realized was, so much of my leadership and so much of my pastoral leadership have become dependent on Sunday. And, yeah. and so 
I had to kind of try to ask myself the question and ask God the question, okay, if we're not meeting in person on Sunday, God, how do you want me to then pastor and lead on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday now? Um, And so I think I just started to kind of ask those questions. Um, but it was hard because, you know, it's it's almost like you, you don't really know what you are left with until something is taken away from you. And so I think yeah. the first, you know, several months, I'm trying to figure out what's left. Now that we aren't meeting in person, I'm trying to figure out what's left of my community and the people that I lead and, um, and just trying to answer all of those questions. But I, I do think I realized man, so much of what I do was dependent on an in-person gathering on Sunday. And God, would you help me change that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing that has been so remarkable about observing you over the last year is that even in a time of uncertainty, you always um, came across as very confident, Um, even though we were all trying to figure it out. And you and I had conversations about that. Every step of the way, you communicated confidence, even if it even if you didn't have like, you know, the year vision, nobody did, right? Nobody still does. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel, what you feel your responsibility is as a leader and how you communicate and the posture that you have and when you're forced to lead with such uncertainty. Yeah, I, well, I'm first of all, I'm glad you felt that. Um, <laughs> I, don't <know> if I, <laughs> I don't know if I would have, said to myself that I felt confident. Um, but I, I do think like it reminds me of when I first got into ministry. I, I had my first job at a church when I was 20 years old and honestly was confused as to why the church even hired me. And um, because I had no prior experience to that. And so, um, but in that season, in those first couple of years, there was a dependency on God like I, like I've never had ever in my life because I was like, God, if you don't show up, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And so even, even that was a different experience of uncertainty, but there was this dependence on God that that required that I appreciated. And, and I look back at that time and I'm like, man, I'm grateful that my ministry started like that because uh, when I actually had people who came around me and mentored me and discipled me, um, I felt like I still had that dependence on God kind of envelope within the foundation of who I am as a leader and as a pastor. And so um, when this season of uncertainty came about, I was just reminded of moments where I was trying to figure out why churches were inviting me to lead worship or why churches were willing to hire me. And it brought me back to that place of the first two years I was working at a church and had no idea what I was doing. And I think the, the the best thing that I could have done as a leader during this season of uncertainty was just to be honest with the people that I lead. I think so yeah. often we try to, we feel like sometimes we have to have the right thing to say, or we have to be able to give people some sort of answer. When I think sometimes the best thing that I can do as a leader and as a pastor is to say, hey, I don't know how long we're going to be in this season. I, I don't know when we're going to, uh, when the world's going to figure out how to take care of this virus. I don't know, um, what the answer is to that, but what I do know is I know that I serve a God who is sovereign. I know I serve a God that has always been in control. Even when I don't think he's in control, I have to trust that he's in control. 
Um, and so for me, it just kind of went back to that place and saying, God, if you don't show up, God, if you don't break through through this online experience, God, if you don't bring these people to this Zoom meeting, if you don't bring these people um, to this you know, Zoom online team gathering, whatever it may be, then God, I don't know what's going to happen. If you're not in it, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's kind of where I found myself was um, you were forced to not have confidence in your giftings because you really had no place to show your gifting. Yeah. And, and so it really was a moment where I feel like, like crisis always does. Crisis reveals, uh, I think crisis reveals character and it reveals the depth of something and if it actually has substance. And so for me, it was, okay, um, where is my personal relationship with God at during this season of uncertainty? And where's my trust in the sovereignty of God? Where's my trust in my hope right now? And if I can find, if I can just fight with everything I have in my soul to put my confidence, not in my gifting, but in who God is, then I actually think I, I can lead alongside of God going ahead of me in this season. Um, but I think it was, it was just trying to find a dependency on God more than anything, because I did not know what was next. And I think the best thing that I can do is just say, God, I want to be in the middle of your will. And if I can trust that I'm doing everything I can to get there, um, then I think we'll be fine. And I can lead people from that place, even if I don't know what the next step is going to look like or when it's going to come. Yeah, that's so good. It's so interesting about the the thing about um, dependence on God and gifting, because I know you and I have talked about this before, but I found um, this year that everything that was my sort of go-to as a leader, um, whether it was gifting or tools or tactics or, you know, communication styles, every single thing that was my go-to failed. Nothing worked because I was operating in... Um, something that was, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the fivefold at Liberty and, you know, I think, I, I know I'm an apostolic teacher. I think you're apostolic evangelist. Is that right? I am a, uh, apostolic evangelist. That is correct. Right. And so my lowest is shepherd and that was what the community needed the most. Mm-hmm. And at that time when, and I know you experienced this too, when there's like five and six um, things coming in a day, somebody lost someone to COVID or somebody lost their job or somebody can't, you know, pay rent. It was such a highly concentrated um, period. I have, I've personally never experienced it, such a high, highly concentrated time of hurt and loss and pain and need. And I just, to your point about depending on God, I had to depend on God because I just did not have the developed skill set for some of those things. And it was such a, like such a reminder, you and I have uh, talked about this before, but I just felt like all of these layers of like this, like this false self that I had developed as a leader, all of these sort of, you know, like whatever you want to call it, protective things, whatever, sort of fell away. And I, I had to depend on God as I've never depended on God because I didn't have anything else to lean into, right? And so I feel like this was such a year of developing leadership skills. Do you feel like you've grown? What are some of the ways, I know that the answer is yes, but what are some ways that you really feel like you've grown as a leader during this time? 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question because I, I I do think you were forced to kind of adapt and change the way that you lead in order to lead well during the season. And I think for me, one of the um, one of the areas where I feel like I, I actually grew was just intentionality, um, which yeah. as a leader, you're kind of like, wait, what? Like, is, shouldn't that be a part of your, you know, natural thing as a leader? And, um, and maybe it is for some people. Um, but I think for me, my personality, um, I, you know, the more intentional I can be, I know the better I'm going to be and the better I'm going to serve people. And so for me, it was intentionality and, and really having to, um, go above and beyond with that to make sure that people um, knew that I was praying for them if I wasn't seeing them, um, knew, know, letting people know that, hey, I'm here to serve you however I can. And so I, I want you to know that I'm making myself available. I had to go above and beyond with intentionality to make sure that people felt that because they weren't seeing me on a consistent basis like maybe they normally would. Um, I think that's one of the areas where I've grown. I think, um, communication, um, I don't think you can ever stop growing as a communicator, but I think, um, so often as pastors and leaders, we only think of one form of communication and that's from a platform. But I think in this season, I've actually grown, um, in other communication mediums, whether it be how to actually write an effective email or how to actually uh, write an effective text message, as, as crazy as that sounds, um, because we were forced to, f- to communicate with people in all of these different mediums. Um, I think I, that's an area where I, I grew. And I think growing in, th- in that area has actually helped me become an actual better communicator from a platform and in front of people, um, which is so odd to think about. Um, and I think the, the last thing is, is just... Um, I don't know if it's it's like one thing that I could pinpoint from like a leadership quality, but I, I do think um, I, I feel like I've become um, I, I actually have not felt this free as a leader or as a pastor ever in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I was sharing with my wife and, and with some of our team members was um, just how I, Church has never been this fun for me in this season. And it's crazy to say that because of how challenging and difficult this season has been for for many people. Um, But I think what God has really taught me is is how to find the joy in it all. Um, Because no matter how dark something may be, I just believe because of the God that we serve, there is always a glimmer of hope and there's always a glimmer of joy in it. And so um, for me, uh, you know, not that I wasn't having fun doing what I'm doing now before, but um, I think I was so stressed at trying to make something happen and forgetting that whatever was going to happen anyways was going to happen because of who God is, not because of what I do. And, yeah. and so now this season has helped me understand as a leader that I have a responsibility not to just come prepared to serve people, but I also have a responsibility as a leader to whether it's to a community group that I'm leading to whether it's a Sunday service that's online or in person, whether it's a, a meeting that I'm leading, whatever it may be. I have a responsibility as a pastor to walk into those spaces with an, a, a desire, a longing and an expectation to encounter God myself. And if I don't have that, then what do I actually have to give? 
And, and so for me, learning that as a leader and as a pastor during this season, um, I would say has been the biggest thing. And so now when it comes to Sunday morning, whether it's online or in person, I am fully expectant that I'm going to meet with God. Even if I'm teaching, even if I'm serving, I'm fully expecting that I'm going to meet with God and, and I'm serving people from that place. And, um, and it, I've never felt more freer, um, in all of the years that I've had the opportunity to serve, um, at, at the local church. I think that's good. And don't you also think that there is a gift here in this year? And again, it seems weird to say that because there's been so much pain and so much loss this year. But I think that the local church has been given such an incredible gift, and certainly we have under the leadership that we serve under, in that we got to innovate. We got to innovate a lot of different ways to serve people, a lot of different ways to meet needs, a lot of different ways to communicate, as you said. And I have said to our team many times, like we are on the front lines of God reforming His church. I know Reformation is a big thing we're talking about in our church, but we are literally the hands and feet of this new thing that God is doing. And it doesn't mean that Sundays don't matter. It doesn't mean, you know, the, 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 the word says, do not forsake the gathering. That will always be important, but it was never meant to be just about that. And so I know that there's many things that you and I and the other pastors have done that we, have said, I don't want to stop doing this. You know, I don't want to stop doing church in the park, or I don't want to stop doing, um, you know, some of the other things that we're doing or online you know, virtual prayer rooms. I don't want to stop doing this. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And I feel like it has been a time of feeling very alive. I think Sunday services, anyone who's a pastor will understand when I say this, that sometimes Sundays can be a heavy lift, yeah. right? Yeah. Sometimes the logistics get you know, overwhelming, or do we have somebody on pro presenter or all of the other things, but there was really this gift that we were given where it was just about how do I serve? How do I serve? How do I serve? And we had the freedom to continually come up with new ideas that I think are going to, I think are going to stay with us, um, as part of this new thing that God is doing. Do you feel like that was, um, do you feel like that was a gift? Or was that part of what you were saying that you've never had more fun in the job that you have now? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think that's, that's exactly what I feel. Um, mm -hmm. There are things that we've discovered in this season because we've had to think outside the box that uh, had we not been in this season, I don't know if we ever would have tried it or done it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think about is, you know, we did church in the park and, and honestly, when one of our, um, one of our elders in our community presented the idea to me, in my head, I was like, there's no way people are going to turn up for that. There's no way. <laughs> Absolutely no way. First of all, it's summertime. So it's not like it, it's, it's, it's a uh, nice out. I mean, it's, it's okay, but it gets hot pretty quick. And, and, um, and I was like, people really going to turn out for that. And, uh, and within like two or three weeks of doing it, you know, you have over 60 people choosing to come out to the park. And, and in New York, it's a different thing because it's not like you get in your car and you drive to the park. Um, right. It's, it's a whole thing where you're either walking yeah. a long ways or you're getting on the subway or you're taking a, a cab or whatever it may be to get there. And so it is a, it's a journey to get there. And so I was just like, you know, the third week we did it and we had the turnout that we did. I, I just felt like God was looking at me laughing and was like, look at what I can do. If, if you yeah. just 
stay committed to creating a space where people can experience me, um, look at what I can do. And so we did, we did church in the park and, um, for several weeks. And one of the things that came out of that was trying to create community and connection because that was the biggest thing that we felt like was lacking during this season with people. And so we would teach, uh, we would teach from a passage of scripture for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then we would encourage people to find three or four people around them and we would just give them two questions to talk about. And seeing the connection that people were having was incredible. But then it forced us to think when we had the opportunity to go back to our venue, it was like, man, people were like, we don't want, want to lose that. And yeah. in my head, I'm like, well, how do you bring that back to a venue where you have seats? And is that going to be awkward for people? And But our first, first Sunday back in our venue, we tried it and it was a hit. And I was like, man, like this is like, how come we haven't thought about this before? And, um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, like this is, it's, it's not only fun because of, of, obviously it's fun because you get to see people and you're doing this with people, but I think it was fun to see, um, just how creative God is. And I think sometimes we forget that because we rely on our own creativity, um, when his is so much greater than ours. And, um, and so I, I think, yeah, some of those things we're going to keep around. And uh, and that's one of them that's come out of this season. And um, But yeah, it's just, it's those little things that make this fun and make this season, as weird as it sounds to say, fun. We'll return to my conversation with JR in just a moment. But first, I've got a question for you. Do you need some help getting your goals organized for the year ahead? Are you already feeling overwhelm and procrastination when you think about what you'd like to achieve in the next year? Well, if so, I have a very special offer for you. I am making my peak year printable planner available at a special price just for podcast listeners. The Peak Year Printable Planner is a step-by-step planner to help you plan out your annual goals and then break them down into quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily action items. The Peak Year Printable Planner will help you simplify even your most ambitious goals with a simple plan so you can build momentum and achieve what matters most. Now, the Peak Year Planner is undated, so you can start anytime. And since it's printable, you'll get immediate access and you can use it forever. As my way of saying thank you for being a loyal podcast listener, I'm offering 20% off with the code podcast. Just go to donsadler.com slash peak planner to get started. And now back to my conversation with J.R. Carmichael. So um, going back to uh, the pandemic hit in March, it's May, and we're starting to feel uh, the realization that it's not going to be a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. Um, Our communities that we serve are tired. They're experiencing loss. They're experiencing uncertainty. And then we have Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Um, And... We both serve a very multicultural church in a multicultural city. Um, tell me about that experience for you. What, what, how did, how did your role as pastor change if it did in that moment? Um, I think initially when all of that stuff started to happen, um, 
I, th- I think as a as a pastor, you felt a um, you you definitely felt a responsibility to um, say something, and um, and I think s- some people probably struggle with that, like I did, um, because I think in this season, you know, one of the things I've told people is there have been moments in this season where you feel like you just can't win. Nothing you do is going to be right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so with all of this stuff coming up in the middle of a pandemic, you know, I kind of felt like, man, like I, I just, I feel like nothing I say right now is going to be right. And, um, but I think the bigger thing that for me where it started was, um, seeing all this stuff happen forced me to think about, uh, experience that I've had in my life personally, um, where I kept thinking about, man, like the stuff with Ahmaud Aubrey and the stuff with George Floyd and, and so many others. Um, I, I just honestly kept thinking about, man, like the reality is based on experiences that I've had in my own life is that could have been me. And, right. um, and this was the first time I've had that realization. I think, uh, it forced me to realize how much of those experiences I've suppressed in my own life and just kind of thought of them as normal. Uh, Like this is the world that we live in. And so I knew uh, as a pastor, before I could do anything, I had to wrestle with God and with, with a counselor and with people that are close to me about what does this stuff mean for me and how is this stuff really affecting me? And have I actually processed my own experiences, um, and then allowing that to kind of inform how I would lead. But I think the biggest thing was you definitely felt the sense of like, man, I need to say something, but I want to make sure that I say the right thing. And, um, and I'm not someone who really uses my social media platform to post about those kinds of things. And so what I tell people is, um, you don't want to be inauthentic. You don't want to not be yourself. And that was something that I wanted to stay true to myself. And so if I was always posting about this stuff on my social media, it would be normal for me to post something. But that's just right. the reality. And so um, one of the things that I did was I, as soon as all this stuff would happen, um, I would just send an email out to our whole community and I would let them know, hey, uh, you know, Tess and I, we see what's happening. Um, here's our perspective on it. Um, here's what we're processing personally. And if there's something that you need, you need somebody to talk to, you need somebody to pray with, we're available and we have a team of people that are available to you. And the reason I have to do that is because I don't post on my social media all the time about those things. And, uh, but I still want the people that I'm leading to know. And so in that moment, I can be my authentic self. I don't have to have the right thing to say. Um, I just wanted my people to know that I'm aware of what's happening. I feel what's happening. I see what's happening and that I'm with you and, and that we're, we're in this, you know, all together. And I think, um, but I would say for the first time in my life, it changed, um, how I saw myself as a pastor because, um, this was the first time in my life and first season of my life where I actually begin, began to acknowledge many personal experiences that I've had growing up, uh, being half black and half Korean. Um, most people in this world would probably just see me as black. Um, and 
And this was the first time that I felt like I was actually a pastor and a leader of color. And that sometimes that will change the way people perceive you, depending on the room that you're in. And so while all this stuff is happening, I'm behind the scenes trying to process all of this stuff for myself and figure out what does this mean for me and how do I lead from this place of, of kind of a new discovery of my personal identity. Um, and so honestly, I actually felt like it was helpful because there was moments where I would tell people in our community who were struggling with a lot of things that were happening in our world. And I would honestly be able to say with them and not just say it because I'm a pastor, but I was honestly able to say, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm trying to figure this out myself. I'm trying to process this myself. And um, But hey, why don't we do it together? And um, and so I think that's really how this has really changed. That Those situations changed um, how I pastor and, and how I view myself as a pastor. Um, I was uh, on this, this video call um, in June um, listening to this, uh, this African-American woman share about uh, her experience uh, early in the church during the civil rights movement. And she said the church was one of the institutions where people, they were creating the space for people who disagreed with each other to come to the table and have a conversation. And they understood that that was the church's role. And so when churches are upset about organizations now uh, that may not be affiliated with any faith um, organization or have a faith foundation that are out there uh, pushing, you know, these various movements to try to bring, uh, try to bridge the gap between all the racial injustice that does exist in our world. um, I think, man, like what would it look like if the church would would just stop being upset about other organizations who are pushing these things? And if we got back to, I think what Jesus would want is for us to be that space. The reason all these other organizations are occupying that space is because the church has stopped occupying that space. And um, and so I, I, I think that we have a responsibility as pastors and as leaders to make sure that we're creating those spaces and environments for those conversations to happen. Um, and also encouraging, um, you know, the people that we get to lead and pastor to be creating those spaces as well, because they are the church. We are the church. The church is not a building, um, but the church really is the people. And so encouraging the people that we lead, hey, how are you creating this space, not just um, at church or in a community group, but how are you creating this space? If you want to see change, if you want to make a difference, how are you creating this space at your workplace? How are you creating a space within your own family? Because maybe there are conversations that you need to have with your family about some of this stuff. And so um, I I do think it's the church's responsibility to be that space where people can come to the table um, to have productive conversations about how do we move forward and what does God say about all of this? Because that's the thing that has to be our foundation for, for everything, especially as a Christian, is like, well, what does God say about all of this? And um and, and then challenge yourself on, man, like, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the grace of God. I believe that God is my Savior. I believe in all of those aspects of the gospel. But the one area where I'm struggling, if I'm honest with myself, is to say, oh, like, I realized from being at this table and listening to people share that maybe this idea of God of justice is something that I'm struggling with. Like we need to be able to create those safe spaces where people can come to that realization. And it's not just about justice. It's about all these issues that we're dealing with in our culture. Um, I think that's just the one that's, that's presently 
at the forefront right now. And, um, but I do think the church has to figure out a way to get back to being that space. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you think that the, um, uh, between everything that went on over the summer and then the election in the fall, do you think that it was made, uh, you know, social media sort of went crazy. And do you think that that made it harder for, uh, was that harder to pastor because people could not connect. Everybody feels, uh, I think a a lot more bold on social media. And, you know, I know in my community, people were saying a whole lot of stuff, um, on both sides and it felt for a while, like social media was sort of pastoring us through those moments. Do you think that that lack of connection during that time made that more intense or made that more difficult? Yes, it, it definitely did. And I think that lack of connection that people probably normally would have, um, I think caused us to see more, um, I think the volume of just kind of like harshness towards one another on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think isolation can cause you to forget um, who you are and, um, the community that you choose to belong to. And I think that what we have seen on social media is a result of that, that lack of connection. And I think honestly, um, where I had to kind of get to as a pastor and as a leader is realizing that, man, you know, I'm confused that somebody's posting this, but if I take a moment, take a step back and, and just pray about it and God, what, what, what are you saying about this situation? And honestly, more times than not, I felt like God was saying, man, they're just crying out for help or they're crying out for connection. And, um, and so their response is, is, is an emotional one, but it's also one that is saying, man, can somebody just meet me where I'm at? And so instead of um, allowing that to let, instead of letting some of these things get me upset or confused, um, more times than not, I would find myself just kind of either DMing that person, uh, emailing that person, texting that person to just say, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, Because I do think that the isolation that many people have experienced um, has caused them to forget that they do belong to a community of people that are there for them, that love them, that want to support them, that want to champion them. And, um, and I think a lot of what we saw on social media uh, was the lack of that in this season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the time that we have left, tell me what are the most exciting things about leading a church in New York City right now as we go into a new year? Oh, man. I could be, I, I, I could talk for hours on this, but um, <laughs> I think there's a, there's a hunger that is in this city that has not, that I've not personally felt since we've been in New York um, and people are searching and, um, and we've seen that since we've had the opportunity to regather, we have never seen this many new people consistently come to church um, because people are searching and trying to find answers. And I'm grateful that we do have the greatest answer of all to get to the world during this time. And that's Jesus. Um, and so there's this new sense of hunger where, you know, like I said, I show up at church on Sunday and I'm desperate to meet with God myself. Um, but the level of faith that's in the room is one of those expectations where man, like literally 
because of the faith that people are coming to church with, anything can happen. And, and because of the God that we serve and people are just believing to encounter God in a whole new way during this season and like we've never seen before. So that's been encouraging. Um, I think just the continued innovation um, within the church. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of churches in New York have, um, I, I love watching what other churches are doing and, and kind of gleaning from them from afar. And then when I have the opportunity to get close to them, um, learning from them even more. And so I've just been watching so many of the other churches in the city and how they're navigating this season and learning so much from them. And so I'm not excited just about what's happening at Liberty, uh, but I'm excited for the church at large in New York because I think it's been a pivotal season um, for the church where God has has caused a lot of Christians to draw a line in the sand. Either you're going to follow me or you're not. And um, and I think we need an army of people who will unashamed and, and without abandon say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything that I have in order to experience the revival that I believe God has for this city. And so I'm excited to see what the next five years has for us because of things that have happened in this season. And, um, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, God is a God of redemption and God is a God of restoration. And what that means for me is, is a reminder that there has to be a problem before we can experience restoration or redemption. And, and I think for, what this season has been for people in the city is, is really uh, force people to say, man, either I'm in or I'm out. And like you have said in our staff meetings and other meetings, there's this kindling that is, is at the church right now that God's saying, Hey, I need you to go deep with them so that when things are ready, we can go wide. And, um, and so that's what I'm excited about. I'm also excited because um I've never felt more confident in the local church in this city. Um, I believe that the people who are still here are here for a purpose and a reason. And I think they actually believe that now. And so um, I think that we're going to see churches be committed to making a difference and actually being the church in the next couple of years in ways that we've never seen before in New York, because we've been forced to really understand and and believe that the church is not a venue on Sunday, but it is the people. And how do we take the church to where the other people are instead of expecting and waiting for them to come to us? Uh, I think a lot of churches have come to that realization in the city, and I think it's only going to make the church stronger here in New York. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, um, before we wrap up, do you mind taking a moment and just praying over our listeners, JR? Yeah, I love that. Um, God, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And God, I thank you for every person who um, will hear this conversation. And I pray above all things that um, they would be reminded of how much you love them, how much you were for them. And that even in the midst of this season, uh, where we've navigated so many things in our world and are still navigating many things, Um, I pray that they'd be reminded that you have been there with them every step of the way. There hasn't been a moment where you haven't been with us and in the midst of the storm with us. And so, um, God, I pray for provision where provision is needed and the people who are listening to this. I pray for healing where there needs to be spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, um, because you are a God who can heal. 
Um, and God, I pray for uh, fresh vision and clarity for leaders and pastors who might listen to this. I pray for business leaders. Who, I pray that you would give them clarity and direction on how to lead in the midst of crisis and pandemic and whatever it is that we might be facing. And I pray above all things that we wouldn't forget that you are the greatest example of leadership um, that we have. And so that whenever there's a question, I pray that we would not go to ourselves, but that we would go to your word and ask, God, what are you saying about this situation? And God, how would you lead in the midst of this situation? Um, Would you help us always to take the posture of submitting ourselves to you and surrendering ourselves to you, knowing that from that place, um, we can actually do the work that you are putting in our hands. And um, and so, Father, I thank you for Dawn. Thank you for her leadership. I thank you for her influence in my life and, and her influence during this season for me personally. Um, I thank you for the space and the platform that she has with this podcast. And, um, and God, I know that it's only uh, just a small part of, of, of what you're doing through her life and how she's serving so many people. And um, um, I thank you for her leadership. And I thank you for the way that she's made a difference in Tess and I's leadership during this season, especially. And so I pray for a blessing upon her and her husband, Matt. And, um, and just thank you for this time together. And we pray that you would continue to go before us. And we would just continue to find ourselves being obedient to you um, and surrendering ourselves fully to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. JR, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank JR Carmichael for joining me on the show today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find JR online at donsather.com slash 044. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. This helps us reach even more listeners with stories of how God is on the move in business. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler, the Christian Productivity Coach. Thanks for listening. <laughs>